Hello, friends and listeners. Welcome to a special episode of Watch Skip Plus. If you've been listening or following since we started in 2022, one of our special episodes was bringing on a gentleman who had attended the Sundance Film Festival for decades, regularly, every single year. And uh, so we actually had a special Sundance episode last year where we brought on Mike the Wildenbeast and we talked about Sundance. And that that was sort of like a complete overview. What is Sundance? How did it start? What's all of that? And then all of the films that he saw. And I promised him and I promised you guys, if you were interested, that this was going to be a yearly thing. I'm hoping the Oscars episode will also be a yearly thing. But we are back again with Mike Wildenbeast. How are you doing, Mike? I am doing great. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, I am so excited. So Sundance 2024, it is how many years? Uh, 22 years. Uh, my first year was 2003. So yeah, 22. 20 Excellent. Years. Excellent. And then this festival, which took place January 18th to January 28th at Park City, Utah, it is the 40th Sundance. Is that right? The 40th year that it's been called the Sundance Film Festival. So they like to celebrate all sorts of different awards. Because as we discussed, if you go back to our prior, we talk about how the festival has changed names a couple times. So it's been Definitely. 40 years since it's been the Sundance Film Festival ran by the Sundance Institute that was created by our, our friend Robert Redford. Yes, Butch Cassidy and Sundance Kid. Or President, yep. uh, what was his name in Winter Soldier? President... Anyway, oh, I can't remember. He was the president of the free world at that time, at that time in the movie. Um, so I'm actually really, really excited to hear about the films that you checked out just because I heard Kristen Stewart. I heard Return of Aubrey Plaza. I heard Pedro Pascal was there. Melissa Barrera, who was fired from Scream se- 7, 7. Uh, Jesse Eisenberg, who I have a huge crush on his back and apparently directing. So I'm really anxious to jump into that. Uh, but before we do that, I, I just wanted to read this from Deadline because I think this is super, super interesting. But it says here, coming out of the pandemic, indie filmmakers flooded Sundance with the most submissions yet. At 17,435 titles from 153 countries or territories, and that was 4,410 feature-length films. And so of the feature film submissions, 1,679 were from the U.S., and 2,741 were international. The eight episodic projects, so Sundance this year, I, I don't know if they've done it every year, but they talked about like episodes like say mini series or mini docs is that right yep they've uh, they've done it for probably their fifth or sixth year they've been doing it but yeah got it 573 submissions there were 385 new frontier submissions and from this sundance chose 82 82 feature-length films from 24 countries 40 out of 101 that's 40 percent feature film directors at 2024 fest are first-time feature filmmakers, many of them writing and directing at the same time. Um, And 11 of those features were supported by the Sundance Institute, which Mike had talked about in development through direct granting or residency labs. And then the world premieres, the movies that had sort of picked up distribution but were being shown for the first time ever at the Sundance Film Festival, they made up 85 
or 94% of the festival's 90 feature films and episodic programs. Those are some crazy numbers, yeah? But the, you're, this is all hat, old hat to you, right? Every year you're seeing all this fun, amazing stuff, right? Yeah, every year it's it's been fun. Um, this year, actually, there was less picked films. In the past, they've had as many as 100 and, in the 120s, too. I think in the top, like, 2008, 2009, they had 130 films. So we're, we're still paring things down. What happened I, from little birds chirping, I, what, yeah. from what I gather is money was lost in the last two years. So they pulled back on the festival a little bit because doing these online festivals is expensive. This platforming and then everything that goes into it. They still did a portion online this year. I don't know how much longer they're going to do that. I know many mm. people, the film critics love it. I liked it, not you know when I had to have it, but compared to being there like it has oh, yeah. the last two years this is the first well i would say the first return real return to sundance since the pandemic last year was the first in person but i really feel like we had the energy there i mean sold out screenings people getting mad people getting turned away you weren't there sometimes 30 minutes before screenings even if you bought a ticket you were you turned away you were given a voucher and said sorry it just wow. was, well, it was crazy, especially the first weekend. So it was it was a fun year that was full of energy. And for me, in the past, I've I've really like dug in. Okay, what do I want to watch? I, who's made films that have made films in the past that I want to see? What's the exciting new things? This year, it was about celebrating my people. I've been really into the theory around the blue zones. And one of those is about finding your tribe. So to live a long life, you have to find and spend time with your tribe. Yeah. And so this year, my goal was to spend as much time with my friends uh, that I've met. I mean, the reason I know you in the Gentleman's Guide is through my friend, Brian Higgins. Um, he was, he's been a part of that community for a very long time, had a now defunct podcast that focused on hammer films that i did with him way back like a decade ago but he's i spend a time with him and a lot of my other friend uh sundance friends like going year after year you meet each other especially in the line for the pass holders i've been a pass holder on and off i've guessed probably out of my 22 years i probably had one half that time so maybe 10 11 years and but even not i'm still going 10 to 12 films and you're still standing in lines and you're still talking to people you make friendships you make relationships and i just wanted to spend time with them so i pretty much had a had my pass i didn't even really look at the book until the week of the festival and i just said i i'll kind of follow you guys let me you know i did a little bit of glancing but i wanted to follow the flow of what they were doing for the most part there was only a few films i didn't see with brian um due to certain scheduling but for the most part i saw most of the films with other people which made it much more fun with people that i've known that just made it a, a really special experience for me. So that's that was how I was guided. So did, I didn't get everything. I wanted to see the Kristen Stewart stuff. I uh, missed that. I was going to catch Love Lies Bleeding, but I caught a, another film called Crazy House, which we'll talk about later. Um, you have to make choices. As you always say on the pad, podcast, choices are made. We, when yeah. you go to a <laughs> festival and there's 100 plus films, choices have to be made and then schedules are the way they are. And 
unlike past years, it seemed like they kind of forced certain films on us in the Salt Lake. Again, if you go back, you can hear that I do the Salt Lake uh, part of the festival. So the festival, there's a big portion in um, Park City as well as in Salt Lake. They're really trying to get more crowds down into the Salt Lake event. So they've got more theaters, uh, more events going on down in Salt Lake because the infrastructure up in Park City is just, it's getting too big for a town that's just so small that can only grow so big so the festival some people say it might have outgrown itself but they kind of keep changing so i've noticed them trying to push more and more people into the salt lake area and a big part of that is making the locals pass now it used to be a locals pass the salt lake pass now it's open to anyone you could buy a, oh. a, a salt lake pass okay. it limits you to only seeing the films in salt lake but what that does is it gives you the chance to see the films with the rest of us who love the films you're not going to be around the industry focus much you might not see all the stars you'll still see the q a's you'll still see the producers the directors screenwriters sometimes if a star is one of those they will be there at the q a's all yeah. the way until the, the last weekend after the awards have been announced but you get q a's in salt lake as well so i uh, again this year i hit 26 films over 10 days spent that whole time with my friend uh brian higgins in salt lake it doesn't officially start till friday so we kind of listen to what people say thursday about what's the big movies to hit or miss and then friday we just go so the big thing on friday the first day for us was hitting the brian eno doc i don't know if you're familiar with Eno. yeah so actually that's kind of interesting because obviously sundance is a big thing for documentaries but this one, Eno, obviously Brian Eno, he is a music producer, composer. He's worked with uh, bands like U2, um, David Bowie, like all of that stuff. But what was curious about this is um, it's directed by Gary Hustwit. And what's interesting is that this is apparently a generative documentary, meaning it's a film that's different every time it's shown. What, what can you tell us about that? I was I was curious over this, and it and it wasn't the only sort of weird generative documentary either, apparently, or or uh, interactive viewing experience. But yeah, tell us about Eno. Yeah, so a big a big thing in the festival before we go into Eno is AI and artificial intelligence. I saw a couple documentaries, and there were some I didn't see, but there was a big talk, of mm. course all through the festival was the use of artificial intelligence. Is it okay? Is it not? When is it appropriate? When is it going to take over film? And pretty soon we don't have the human touch. So there was a lot of discussion on that. There's a lot of wonderful panels that I've heard people went to. So there was a lot of talk about that. Eno is really interesting because if you know about Brian Eno, he calls himself a generative artist, meaning he believes that he generates art as a medium for the art to come through him. Whatever, if he, and he doesn't call himself a true artist. He doesn't believe that he's a good musician. He believes that he can just use technology and use things in a way to allow art to express itself through him and it generates through him. And so he's actually had worked with many uh, computer technology people and some music software folks and created software that he uses that generates music for him. And he can basically kind of artificially intelligence in a way where he can generate music and he believes that's how he generates art. So this film is a combination of, it was edited scenes, hundreds of hours compiled into, um, they, they didn't give exacts, but during the Q and a, they said that there was enough footage to create 
uh, over quintillion, one quintillion versions of the film. They Whoa. used over 500 hours of footage edited down to a f- like three or 400 scenes. And the scenes would be placed depending upon the artificial intelligence, what was placed before. So the first two scenes are always random. And they're either interviews. Again, he doesn't like a lot of smoke blown up his butt. So there's not a lot of people <laughs> saying Eno's the best. Mostly it's him talking about his art. So the version I got, that our Salt Lake version at the very beginning, it says Eno and it tells you Salt Lake City, the dates, and number three. We were the third time this had ever been generated. And boom, we wow. got it. So That's incredible. Yeah, it was cool. It was fun. But again, because of that, we got more about the process of art and the process of the film than other people who got a version of the film that was more about him and what he'd done. So every time you see the film, which I'm sure is probably going to be in museums and touring around, I'm sure he'll do a tour with it. You'll see a different version. So it's not something that you'll probably ever see on a Netflix or a Hulu, I would imagine. Probably going to be something he'll tour with and travel with around the museums and, you know, theaters around local urban areas. That's my guess. I seem to remember, uh, was it? Was it the album Passengers or something like that that he had done? And and even he'd work with Moby. And so that sort of like electronic, um, you know, that that massive attack sort of stuff. Ambient. So, yeah, he's a visionary. I like him a lot. He's, he's yeah, great. He is, he's really into ambient music. But, I mean, if you go back, you'll find out about Bowie and U2 and all that. But you did. The version of the documentary we got didn't talk about any of that. It was all about okay. the process of the art, which was cool. And yeah. then we also saw uh, a big one uh, that was purchased by Mubi that was called How to Have Sex was uh, the second <sighs> film that we yeah, saw that day. Yeah, is that day. from Ber- Berlin or Sweden? or I It is. Remember. Uh, nope, it's British. It's from England. Okay, got it. So the film is uh, by Molly Manning Walker. She's a writer mm-hmm. and director. She's also a cinematographer. And so last year she was uh, in a film called Scrapper that I watched. She was the cinematographer for that film. So I really wanted to see this because I like those connections. Like, oh, I saw what they did last year. What are they going to bring me this year? So I was like, I want to see this, even though I knew it was purchased and so did Brian. So because of the way that Eno was, it's what we ended up seeing. And it's a very hard-hitting, important drama about consent and intent. Mm. And the difference and what that means. You might go out intending to have sex, but when it happens, does not mean that you're necessarily consenting. So it's a really interesting film that's difficult to watch. That's not mm. really made for us. But I think for those 15 to 30, it's a perfect film for that age group. And today, in fact, during the Q&A, uh, Molly Walker said she was touring the film to schools, to high schools. Oh, okay. a big thing that they do out there, which I learned thanks to my buddy Brian and also the Q&A, is these 18, or 15, they call them 18 to 30 holidays. So all of these people in their schools starting at age 18 can drink. And they will book an entire plane and go somewhere to some exotic place. And the school basically knows these people are going to get drunk. Let's send them somewhere where they can do it. And so they go, yeah, and they go and they party and they get drunk and they have sex and they do all sorts of debaucherous stuff. And the point of this film is maybe, you know, we need to know a little bit more about the maturity of these people and the importance of consent versus intent. 
So nice. really interesting. I definitely, I think it was nominated for some BAFTA awards, like the British uh, Oscars. Yep. So it was nominated for some awards there. And it's definitely one I think if you don't have movie, you should at least check it out. And I feel like, I feel like we saw a trailer of that because I, uh, cause you know, I hate trailers, right? But I feel like I came back and Scooter was like, oh, there's something called How to Have Sex coming out. It looks great. Um, but, uh, for those, for our friends and listeners, how to, how to have sex. This is a director and screenwriter, Molly Manning Walker, as Mike had said, three, the log line is this three British teenage girls go on a rite of passage holiday, drinking, clubbing, and hooking up in what should be the best summer of their lives. As they dance their way across the sun drenched streets of Malia, they find themselves navigating the complexities of sex, consent, and self-discovery. That one sounds really, really good. Yeah, if you're um, a film fan, you need to watch it. It's one that's going to win some awards, and I think it's a much watch. It's it's going to be uncomfortable, and it's difficult at times, but I thought it was well well made. Awesome. What's up next? So that was my first day. It was just that was a really interesting kickoff um, to the festival for me. Um, but what happened that first day was there was a screening for a film called Freaky Tales and another film called Ghostland, where they had to kick out 100 people who couldn't get into Ooh. either of those films. Okay. <laughs> so okay. The, the thing I made sure I did was go out went the next day to the extra screening they added of Freaky Tales, which is kind of like Pulp Fiction. To me, it's a film about the Bay Area in 1987, four different stories kind of come together that are fun, fictitious, over-the-top, really pulpy. You've got uh, Nazis versus punks during like an Agent Ivy show. You've got all this really fun wow. stuff that's part of that history, like Too Short getting schooled by two female rappers, two young female rappers. And you just have all these fun little things that tie together and bring you this love of the Bay Area. This is the big film that Pedro Pascal is in it. He's kind yep. of the Bruce Willis character in Pulp Fiction to this movie. He's the one who he's in two different sections. You don't see him until partway through, but then he kind of is there and follows us through the end. It's really entertaining. It's flawed, but it's really entertaining. It's by the filmmaking team that did Half Nelson. They've premiered several of their films in the past, including Sugar uh, here at actually, the festival. Actually, Mike, Ryan Fleck and Anna Bowden. Yes, that's they did Captain. They did Captain Marvel. Yeah, they did Captain <laughs> so Marvel. That's, that's why I love them. <laughs> they did it. They did Captain, and that's where the money to make this movie came from. So it was self-produced yes. uh, by them. They made the money. They made the movie with the money from the Marvels, and you could tell it's a love letter. It's it's messy at times, but it's fun. It's cute, and if you've ever been to the Bay Area, which I have you're going to find something there to love. So I, I, I recommend that one. It's definitely because of Pedro Pascal. I'm sure it'll get picked up uh, and get some play. Hopefully my hope is a lot of these get more, a lot more get theatrical push. A big yeah. thing that we were hearing was the festival this year was a little bit more popular, a little bit more uh, happy, a little bit more upgoing, a little bit more glossy. We've had so many years of depressing films and festivals that have been really dour. We needed a festival event like this year that was a little bit more uplifting instead of being in the dourness that we all kind of felt with the Trump years and the pandemic and everything else that was coming down to us. Then we had 2020, 2021, 2022 festivals that were just full of really sad films. Yeah. So this year, Freaky Tales was an example of them picking films that might have a little bit more commercial bend that are a little bit more uplifting. 
So that's yeah. one thing that was noticed. This one says, uh, teen punks defend their turf against Nazi skinheads, a rap duo battles for hip hop immortality. A wary henchman gets a shot at redemption and an NBA all-star settles the score. Uh, looks like we've got Ben Mendelsohn, who I absolutely always love watching and Ji Young Yu. Uh, they're in this. So yeah, this one looks, this one looks really, really good. Mendelsohn plays a big fat Nazi despicable cop and he is, despicable and amazing <laughs> wow okay he's yeah he's so good at it i mean the acting in the movie is good it's just you could tell that they made it with their own money there was some budgetary issues but overall it's got so much love that it's one of those that i still highly recommend even though it's kind of a mess some people yeah. hated it it was one of those at the festival that some people just didn't get and others i i really did so uh, after that i went and saw a film called agent of happiness which was about the country of bhutan it was a really interesting little documentary that popped me into a world i never knew i never knew much about bhutan which is a country on the other side of the himalayas from tibet we get a little bit of introduction to what looks like census workers but what we find out that they're here to do is to go around village to village and question people on their happiness levels. So they, <sighs> the king of Bhutan has told everybody throughout the world that they are the happiest country in the entire world and has spent millions and millions of their money to create this program to prove it. What we find out is that <laughs> they're not the happiest country in the world, but the way that they ask these questions and the way that the survey is built and created Ask things like, how many horses do you have? How many geese do you have? How many times a day do you drink coffee? All the, the more and more of those things you said yes to or had meant them happier you were. So, of course, it was based on some bullshit rhetoric concept of what this king believed was happiness. When most of these people were living in filth and squalor and had nothing to their names. Yikes. Most of them were, were not happy, you could tell. But their happiness results told them they were a 9 out of a 10. So it was a really interesting uh, look into a really crooked government. And again, makes me grateful I'm American, even though I don't really love America that much all the time either. But that, that's one thing I love about Sundance is it was a movie I knew nothing about. I walked in because of the timing. It was right after Freaky Tales. And it ended up blowing me away and was something I would have never have caught on my own. So Agents of Happiness. Sounds like a great, interesting documentary and, and sort of relevant, I think, for... You know, when we talk about the media and projecting things that aren't always what they are when your boots on the ground, you know, that's, yeah, it's kind of interesting. Looks like it's uh, uh, Hungarian directors, Dorota Zorbu and uh, Arun Batari. Um, yep. Yeah. Very really cool. interesting film. And I, I don't know what's going to happen of it, but I'm glad I saw it. And if you get a chance to see it, it's definitely worth the watch. The next one I saw was called Kneecap. This one had so much energy. It was the most mm. fun I had at the festival. Overall, okay. just a blast. Punches you in the face. It's a film about a North Irish rap group who speak Irish and they're really offensive. They love to, to <laughs> rap about drugs and sex and that's about it but they are also fighting for the irish language which is trying to be uh taken away from the uk so it was a kind of an interesting film where it's really raunchy it's crude it's full of energy think train spotting for example yeah but without any of the moral stuff there's no no morals to their all the awful things they do it's just 
fun, fast paced, <laughs> energetic, extremely Irish. And yeah. I love as much I love hip hop. So hearing this Irish music, which is kind of more of a dance hall style, similar to the uh, the musician, the streets, the Grimes UK hip hop sound. So I really liked that film. It had a lot of energy to it. And the band was there. They they play themselves in it. They were there for the QA. And their DJ walked down the hall with his butt out, basically oh. with his sign on his ass saying, buy, you know, telling the UK to get out tattooed on oh, his butt it was fun it was wild and it was a one of those experiences that's just total sundance i'm glad i got to go see it and a lot of people cho- went and saw another film i chose this because of brian i wouldn't have gone to that experience if i didn't follow my friend and and choose what he wanted to see because he's north irish and i loved it a lot more than he did because he felt it kind of played with some of the stuff with the troubles a little bit uh, oh. ig- ignorantly but again it's about 20 year olds and how they're dealing with their life in Northern Ireland post troubles. So I really think that's fun. so, I think that's so fantastic that you had that ability to share it with Brian, who was a native and be like, you know, Hey, that's a, you know, this is a depiction of it. It might not be completely accurate. Is the language uh, Gal- Galbrecht? Is that, is that the one that they're talking? Cause there's different languages and dialects. We know about Irish Gaelic, they you call know the it the name of the length. They just called it Northern Irish or Irish. Okay. Is what they call it. Yeah, so according apparently- to Brian, he says that it's it's just what they call Irish, but it's it's a still spoken, but it's the last true like language in Ireland. That's yeah, because I'm reading here something called the uh, Gale Tact, which is only spoken by two percent of Ireland's population. Think of like. Uh, eight mile, like scripted, okay. fictional, but based off a true story, Got but it. still fictional. So our director screenwriter is Rich Papiet. And this says here, uh, there are 80,000 native Irish speakers in Ireland. 6,000 of them live north of Ireland. Three of them became a rap group called Kneecap. An anarchistic Belfast trio becomes the unlikely figurehead of a civil rights movement to save the mother tongue. Yeah, that sounds great. I would love to try to uh, pronounce some of these cast names. I, I don't think I can do it, but I You're do see have Michael a Fassbender. Yep, but I do Michael see Michael Fassbender, Fassbender here. <laughs> yep, great. He is. Yep, Michael awesome. Fassbender is is going to bring butts into seats. It's picked up by Sony Picture Classics, so it should have a theatrical run. I believe it should come out this summer. So hopefully it hits our regals, and hopefully you are able to catch it in the big screen because it deserves to be. It's full of fun, loud music. It's got a lot of energy, but. It, while it is kind of train spotting and raunchy and fun and crude, it has a nice little message about protecting it, you know, a dying language. So really fun and definitely one to look forward to. Uh, So that was day two. And uh, again, I've, a lot of these choices were just because of Brian. I mean, I followed my friend along for an adventure instead of picking a lot of myself, but the next day uh, was the weekend, and I had to miss uh, some of the films he was catching because I have kids and they have basketball. But I did catch a short film uh, section and the uh, short film block two. The only one I really want to talk about is a French film called the A Masterpiece. Okay. Uh, a wonderful, wonderful little French short. Basically, it's about a uh, a black uh, African family who are you can tell they are uh, not their basically looked at as the poor people in the neighborhood who go around and pick up the junk. Well, while they're picking up someone's junk, they pull out a painting 
that somebody who you can tell is very rich believes might actually be real and might actually be worth some money. Mm. So the, the, what we get is them trying to play these poor people for what might be worth a lot of money, a lot of class wars. And it was a fantastic film, uh, the masterpiece. It's one that I definitely, it's a short film that I would have never again, never seen. And I definitely recommend. Nice. Uh, Next, I would move on to uh, the U.S. documentary film Gaucho Gaucho. This was a film I, again, I didn't have on my list. I went because Brian said it's supposed to be beautiful. And my God, was it beautiful. Talk about the most crisp black and white photography you've ever seen. This duo of filmmakers, they also have done two other films at Sundance. One was called The Truffle Hunters. Very, very similar type of film following actual truffle hunters their obsession is following people in different places that live old cultural lifestyles so gaucho gaucho it follows the gauchos of argentina who uh live you know in the west in the middle of nowhere and they take care of all the cows for a big part of argentina so they kind of are a mythical like the mythical western argentinian gauchos and it's called gaucho gaucho because it's like think of it as a cowboy's cowboy or a real cowboy so gaucho gauchos are the real cowboys and so we followed uh six or seven real cowboys on their beautiful picturesque land and what it was like to live their life in a verite style so very beautiful very gorgeous i'm sure it's going to be nominated for best documentary next year it's definitely one that you'll want to see if you love beautiful black and white photography and you want to lie and you want to jump into a totally different world or if you love cowboys or the mysticism behind the gauchos in argentina definitely watch it the directors are michael dweck and gregory kershaw and yeah it is definitely argentini argentinian um cowboy argentine cowboys and cowgirls who knew sounds interesting though Yep, very good, very much worth a watch. And the next film I saw is one that's getting a lot of hype and talk already. It's called Sasquatch Sunset. Sasquatch Uh, Sunset is... (laughs) I just saw the trailer for this. Yep, the trailer just came out. It is uh, going to get a theatrical release in our houses. So go see this. It plays (laughs) like you're watching a a nature documentary. But what you get are four actors realistically in costumes as Sasquatches. And you're following them like you would follow a a nature documentary. There's no talk. It's verite. And you're watching them do what animals do. And part of the humor comes from watching people in animal suits shit in their hand, throw it, have sex, do all sorts of animalistic things. So it was, it was really fun. It was a, it's one of those quirky movies done by Sundance favorites, the Zellners, Nathan and David Zellner. My wife actually got the chance to work with them on one of their movies called Damsel, uh, mm. which, which is which is a Robert Pattinson movie. But they do these really weird, quirky films that play at Sundance and end up going nowhere. They play art house theaters, and they kind of go nowhere. The Beastie Boys... Um, I think it's Oscilloscope is how it's pronounced. They have a film distribution company and they pick up a lot of their films. Uh, Got it. But they're fun. They All their stuff plays here and it plays like you're watching a nature documentary. Some people hated it. I had a blast with it. It's weird. It's raunchy. It's an hour and a half of watching people be Sasquatch. <laughs> 
you mentioned Damsel with uh, Robert Pattinson. Uh huh. Um, I think that's what 2018. Yep. That it, was it's been, yeah, been out a while. It's actually streaming on Prime. But yeah, we just I saw the Red Band trailer for this, and it opens <laughs> with them having sex, having sex doggy style. And let me tell you, our audience was like, "Wait, what?" <laughs> That's that's how the film opens. That's literally the opening scene of the film. So it's that's yeah. how the film opens, and the whole audience is like, "Oh, hello!" Yeah, but, but that, they're they're directors that uh, I think some of us in the GGTMC world know. Kumiko, the Treasure Hunter, was uh, is one that many have posted and talked about. But they are filmmakers that I think their first film that I noticed was back in 08 called Goliath. But everything they do plays at Sundance and kind of goes nowhere, but. They're wonderful little filmmakers, and they're they're guys that I always make sure I see their stuff. It looks like Nathan is actually acting in this as well, and we've got Riley Kehoe, uh, Jesse Eisenberg, and Christoph Zajic Denik under all that makeup. Yeah, Harry and the Hendersons, watch out. <laughs> yep. The next film I saw was one that was all over the blogs and is getting a lot of hype. And it is, I saw the TV glow. Uh, this Ooh. is from um, trans filmmaker Jane Schoenbrunn. Uh, Jane Schoenbrunn got a big kickoff at Sundance a few years ago with a film called uh, Something the World's Fair. Oh, we're, we're all going to the World's we're Fair. We're all going to the World's Fair. This is not uh, entirely successful. I saw it. Not entirely successful. Not entirely. And I would say the same thing about I Saw the TV Globe, but I am not the intended audience for I Saw the TV Globe, nor am I the intended audience for the other film. Hmm. These are films made specifically with the with the voice for those in the LGBTQ community, using David Lynchian images and the concept of how we get so attached to television in this day and age, we can get sucked into TV. And it's about a television show that these young youth kind of get addicted to. And we find that in the end, it's all just a big metaphor to being trans and trying to come out. But the film itself is full of crazy David Lynch stuff, lots of wild visuals. Uh, what's his name? Justice Smith. Yeah. He's, he was great in it. And it is one of those films that's going to get a lot of talk. Uh, A24 picked it up. I think that it's definitely important. It's not one that I thoroughly enjoyed because I've seen a lot of David Lynch. But yeah. again, if you haven't seen David Lynch and you are struggling with feelings, this movie could really help you. So I think it's an important film and I think its audience is really going to eat it up. I know those that were there stood up and clapped like wow. there was a trans couple in front of us that stood up, clapped and were just in tears. Ugh. And I'm so happy that it's there for them. To me, it's a little bit messy, but I hate talking bad on it because it is what it is. And it's an important film that has a really singular voice, has some money behind it. So it looks good. It's interesting. but again. It's it's just a lot to do about nothing. There's not much story-wise, but if the trans community need a film like this, and I'm glad that they have someone, a, a filmmaker like Jane, who's really showing that they are going to make awesome films that are going to help people. Uh, an experience I'm glad I got to experience. The first thing I did was call uh, one of my kids is LGBTQ. It was like, you, this is the movie you're going to see. I'm going to make sure you see it when it comes out. You're going to yeah. love it. Oh, so. as you mentioned, the the director screenwriter is Jane Schoenbrunn. I'm going to have to revisit. We're we're all going to the World's Fair because 
it's that one is also sort of dream logic-y. It Same. seems almost like virtual kind of, it reminded me of host a little bit. Um, a couple curious notes here. I'll, I'll give the log line for the friends and listeners. Teenage o- Teenager Owen is just trying to make it through life in the suburbs when his classmate introduces him to a mysterious late night TV show, a vision of a supernatural world beneath their own. In the pale glow of the television, Owen's view of reality begins to crack. And just a couple, a couple more weird notes or interesting notes. It says Fred Durst in the cast. Is that right? If he's there, I don't remember seeing him. Okay. But- and I then did, it's I, also produced by Emma Stone, apparently. Yep, Emma Stone. So, uh, There's money in it, and it looks good, and it is cool. And it, I would say it's like David Lynch for beginners. So it's it. it's really it, it's something that I think people are going to eat up. The I'd say the 15 to 30 year olds are going to love it. It's really it's really good. Nice. So that was the end of my first weekend. I saw nine films. And it was quite a weekend. <laughs> yeah, I imagine. And then during the week, I shrink it down to about two films a week. And so that next Monday, we saw one of the first of the big AI documentaries called Eternal You. So it's a documentary about AI and these tech companies that are using it basically to manipulate the grieving. To me, this movie made me freaking mad. <laughs> yeah. So this is this is from directors Hans Block and Moritz Rieswijk. They're from Germany, and it says here, startups are using AI to create avatars that allow relatives to talk with their loved ones after they have died. An exploration of a, of a profound human desire and the consequences of turning the dream of immortality into a product. I read that and I got angry. Um, yeah. What was this like? So you're following basically five or six different startups and the people behind them and what they're doing basically to tap into the grieving market, which is sad that they call it that, but they're tapping into the market of grief and creating AI technology that can mimic your loved ones. Whether one company was trying to mimic your look, another one was mimicking your voice, another one just through looking at your pictures and getting access to your Google and Facebook accounts could create a conversation log where you could converse. But what was ending up happening was some of these conversation logs turned kind of evil and people believed that they were actually ghosts that were coming to haunt them because these AI actually come back and tell one of the people that I am sick of you and I don't want to talk to you anymore. You can fucking die and go to hell. Oh my <laughs> some grieving God. woman thought her dead husband told her she can die and go to hell. But that it was, sounds but so AI, dangerous, so dangerous psychologically. Frightening, frightening. You know, I mean, it's it feels like it's ten levels above uh, uh, Whoopi Goldberg from Ghost. You know, let me call the spirit of your of your ancestor here, and we'll talk a little bit. Like mm-hmm. it's chicanery, uh, digital chicanery. It's that's freakish. Wow, it's creepy. It's really quite creepy, and it, it's something you need to watch to see to be aware of because just like we have do not resuscitate you're going to have to have do not ai recreates or something to make sure that they don't use your images to recreate you oh my god that's where we're at the world is scary (laughs) so that got picked up by netflix so take that should come hopefully sometime this year so i definitely recommend that last film i saw that monday evening 
was the first of a wonderful midnight selection. I, the, the stuff I saw in the midnight selection was great, but this is the first one I saw. It was called Crazy House. Mm, by Alicia Dutch- Silverstone. Yeah. Directors and screenwriters are Stefan Haars, Flip, Flip van de Kuehl. They're Netherlandian, as I like to say. Uh, when Russian workers in Bernie's house turn out to be wanted criminals, Bernie has to man up. And this is the interesting part of this uh, logline. Save his 90s sitcom family. Our cast mm-hmm. is Nick Frost, Alicia Silverstone, Kevin Connolly. What was this about? I, I had to find out. I mean, I miss Love Lies Bleeding to see this but because I, I had to find out what this logline was about. Yeah, It's insane. This film is 30 minutes of a recreation of what could be a genuine 90s sitcom. Alicia Silverstone <laughs> is the bossy mom who now has a job and wears the pants and the klutzy dumb dad who's trying to keep the family together, the big overweight dumb klutz with bad American teeth who loves Jesus <laughs> with a really bad accent that keeps coming in and out purposely played by Nick Frost. It is this really bad sitcom for 30 minutes that turns into a bizarre out of this world, Tim and Eric bloody freak out. It's absurdist comedy to the maximum. It's strange. It's wild. It's got some of the most vile things I've seen on film in some time. I mean, there's death to animals, there's rape, there's, all sorts of things but it's all done in tongue firmly pressed in cheek really kind of adult swim style it was a perfect blast of fun from the midnight section this year so not made for everybody but i had a ton of fun with it i loved seeing alicia silverstone and nick frost just go for it and alicia just she just fucking goes for it man she has a blast with her character yeah she i love her she's fantastic she might be the reason we're seeing it because most people are gonna hate this thing i mean to be honest it's wild it's weird it's all over the place it's full of absurdist non-comedy some people call it but i loved it full of the bloody good stuff so i highly recommend crazy house i don't know what's going to happen to it it's going to have to probably be cut in some forms to be able to play in american theaters but i was going to say from what you were telling me it sounds very nc-17 it also It also seems very fraught to be, uh, shall we say, misinterpreted by sensitive types. How about that? <laughs> yeah, it's it's basically Dutch people saying, we hear America is awful, and these are the things we don't like about America culture, <laughs> and they push wow. it to the max. I, it was really fun to see something like that on a big screen with a full audience. With the, I mean, there were a few people that walked out, but those of us that, that stood to the end had a good time. That's so, great. Yeah, definitely worth the watch for those that want something a little bit on the wild side. Or even if you're a Legion Silverstone fan, you're going to watch it just because it's unlike anything she's ever done or probably will ever do. So, so good. <laughs> so good. <laughs> Tuesday, I decided to see a couple films that were a little bit more um, dark, depressing. The first film I saw was called As We Speak. It is a documentary that follows Bronx rap artist Kemba. And I know about Kemba being a hip-hop fan. He does underground hip-hop from the Brooklyn area, kind of Mm. more conscious hip-hop stuff that's really about trying to conquer the streets and move on beyond it. So I was really interested to see what this was about. But basically, he becomes a conduit to go back in time as well as currently in time to see how rap lyrics and music lyrics have been used against people in a court of law. Really interesting stuff. It's 
it's going to be on Paramount Plus. It's a must watch. Okay. If you love music, if you love the ability that we have to speak what we want to speak, and knowing that just because they're black and just because these stories seem so real that we're using what we wouldn't use from white artists against them. So it's an interesting story. It's an interesting look at many several different cases. And I think it's important for most people to watch. Director is J.M. Harper. Um, I was curious about this, obviously, because I'm in the legal field. But when, when, when you say that law enforcement is using the lyrics against them, are we talking about like say in a domestic violence situation saying that like the person raps all these violent lyrics of course he's a a a domestic violence person or are we talking about they rap about a certain incident they build evidence saying well you talked about it in your song and this is the crime that you actually committed is is that i i was a little fuzzy about how that meant it's been used in many different ways so Currently, there's a young thug who was hit with a RICO case. They talk a little bit about that, but his lyrics about being the head of this of this label, he created a rap label from scratch, which they believe is a gang. So they're trying to use his rap levels to prove that he's not just the leader of a label, but he's the leader of a gang. That's kind of what they're alluding to more so. But they go back in time with Tipper Gore saying that rap lyrics shouldn't be played and arresting different rap groups for swearing. So it's just a really interesting film. And I know it's something that you would enjoy. And again, it's As We Speak, that will be on Paramount+. And I definitely think you should check that. One of the more powerful documentaries was what I finished this night with for my 13th film was Exhibiting Forgiveness. Exhibiting Forgiveness to me was the true weepy of the year. It was like last year's Fairyland. It was one that I just couldn't stop crying from beginning to end. Exhibiting Forgiveness is from Titus Kaffer. He's our director and screenwriter. Actually, uh, Derek Chianfrance is a producer. I know some of his work. So the logline goes, utilizing his paintings to find freedom from his past, a Black artist on the path to success is derailed by an unexpected visit from his estranged father, a recovering addict desperate to reconcile together. They learn that forgetting might be a greater challenge than forgiving. And our cast, listen to these names, Andre Holland, or Oland as I call him, Andre Day, Anjanou Ellis-Taylor, who was in origin. What was, you're telling me this is the weep, it's weepy. Uh, I cry at the drop of a hat. What am I in for? It's a beautiful film about using art to deal with your uh, trauma. Again, a lot of these films were about art uh, being used to help with trauma. This was about a young, an artist who uh, was abused uh, by his father, uh, who was a good man who only pushed him to this point because what it was like to be a black man at that time. And he was a victim of the uh, crisis with crack cocaine. And there's a really Mm -hmm. interesting monologue where he talks about how he got started on it. And it just breaks your heart. The film continues to break your heart over and over again. But basically the father comes back into this young artist's life after years of being on and off of drugs, finally breaks the habit, finally wants to come back to be with his son and his ex and be there for them. But does he necessarily get the right to? Like, lots of interesting Mm. questions. Like, do you get the right to be a parent just because 
you were and just because you want to be after so much abuse. And the beautiful artwork throughout it was done by the actual filmmaker himself. Wow. Gorgeous, gorgeous stuff. He is somebody who I, an artist that you definitely want to look out for the future. I felt like I was watching a Spike Lee film, full of beautiful, soulful music, interesting vibe, really kind of something in between, like you said, origin, in between something that she would make and Spike Lee, part of this new wave of soulful uh, Black American filmmaking that I really love. It's a heartbreaking film, but definitely one that I would say you need to watch. Wow, representation. Um and yeah, the uh, I, I referenced Derek Chianfrance. Uh, he is the director of Blue Valentine, The Place Beyond the Pines, Sound of Metal. So he's uh, he's producing this. But um, yeah, this one I'm definitely going to put on my to watch list. Hopefully, it gets released. It will be released. It has to be. Yeah, it was picked up. I think by Focus Features. So nice. It should. The next one that I saw was sadly the only world cinema dramatic film I saw, which is strange. I used, last year I saw a lot more foreign uh, language uh, dramatic films, but this year uh, I saw a film called Sujo, which is a beautiful poetic film about a, a young man uh, who we follow through different ages as he sees his father who was a gunman for the cartel get killed and mm. then he gets orphaned and we see him try to survive from that moment on it reminds me the poetic vibe definitely reminds me of moonlight it has I was just kinda, about to mention that <laughs> it's in these sections it's segmented you couldn't hear a pin drop throughout the film it was awe-inspiring it's beautiful it's a bit long in the tooth that over two hours could cut some things out but it's beautiful it did win um the best world cinema dramatic film and it's definitely one that i recommend yeah yeah the uh filmmakers are astrid rondero and uh Fernanda Valdez. And I wanted to also mention you had seen the masterpiece and that won the short film grand jury prize as well. Yeah, that was, yep. That was the one to watch too. Gosh, it was good. That brings me to the next film that I saw was pony boy. One of the big things to see this. One of the big themes that we've kind of talked about this year is the LGBTQ and the rainbow was flying really brightly this year. Uh, This was an excellent film that had uh, a really great uh, performance. So I was reading about this in the trades and I couldn't wait to get you on the show to to talk about this because the film's called Pony Boy. It's uh, directed by Esteban Arango and the screenwriter is River Gallo. Now, I had a lot of questions from this, uh, from this log line, but let me go over the cast first. River Gala, our screenwriter, um, stars in it. Dylan O'Brien, who I love from Love and Monsters, um, Teen Wolf, American Assassin, Victoria Pedretti. She was also in Origin. I love her. She was in You. And then uh, transgender performer um, India Moore is in this, Murray Bartlett. And the log line goes, unfolding over the course of Valentine's Day in New Jersey, A young intersex sex worker must run from the mob after a deal drug deal goes sideways, forcing him to confront his past. What does inter intersex? What what does that mean? Well, we see this character through flashbacks where their parents have to make a decision if they have a boy or a girl. So it's about being born with the vagina and a penis. So it's a very interesting film and it's, uh, 
the the issue there's things i love about the film and there's things that you can tell were from a first time screenwriter mm. river gallo by the way also is in you can learn more about river's story in a documentary called everybody that's on amazon i only know that because river mentioned it so it's it's i haven't watched it yet but it's on my list so everybody Excellent. it's about intersects uh people and river is one of those uh you know subjects of that documentary i think i'd only heard of that term through another abhorrent sort of scientific term, which I'm not going to mention here. Exactly. Um, but intersex, yeah, I, I didn't realize that that was. But uh, yeah, what was this? What was this like? There was a lot of hype over this, actually, a lot of buzz over this. Yeah. So what it really is is it's this kind of grimy, grungy, dirty little uh, mob thriller. Kind of feels fun, like the TV show Claws. So you're following, <laughs> you know, it, you're following this. Uh, River plays somebody who's working for the mob. Dylan Brooks is kind of like one of the head mob people. And they're, of course, they work at a laundromat where you, you get it. They're cleaning money and doing other stuff that the mob does. Mm. Well, um, one of the guys that come, one of the things that he does is he also prostitutes the intersex and trans workers, um, mm. sex workers. And during one uh, pony boy has a regular uh, which is the character River plays, who's uh, plays a intersex sex worker, has a regular that comes in to have sex a lot, and this just happens to to have a heart attack during sex. Well, what does uh, River decide to do? Because of everything, he decides to take the money and run. So River takes the money from this guy and decides to run for it. So running wow. from. Uh, Dylan, who also he kind of has a sexual relationship with. And it's just this fun, kind of interesting, fast-paced thriller that just keeps flashing back at the issues that this person specifically is going through, Pony Boy, as an intersex person. So while you are watching what at the surface is a fun indie little crime thriller there's a deep messaging more about finding yourself and who you really are and and trauma from childhood and a father who did not want wanted you to be a boy and not a girl and be a certain way and really interesting stuff and i think that river gallo is going to be a voice that we hear more from in the future so definitely recommend so exciting so exciting and i have to tell you the the uh you know, I'm a fangirl for Dylan O'Brien and he posted his look from this movie on his Instagram and um, he's never looked like that before. And so I was like, Jesus, what is this movie about? And so, yeah, yeah it's it's great. He, he is really funny in it. He's really good in it. I've liked him ever since like the, the Maze Runner movies, but he really stole me in Love and Monsters, but he just keeps getting better. He's really good in this. So definitely look out for it. I'm not, I haven't heard if it got picked up, but it will for sure. It, oh, yeah. it, it needs to be seen. The next film I saw was one that also got a lot of t- a love and won the award for the uh, audience award for documentaries. And this is Daughters. Daughters is a documentary about a program for inmates that allows them to have a daddy-daughter dance. And a lot of these inmates don't get to even see their pe- their kids in real life. They talk to them through a screen nowadays. The days where we saw people picking up a phone and seeing them through plexiglass, now they're in the same building, but you're looking at them like you and I are, like through a computer. Right. So the the film is made um, by the filmmaker themselves created this program and made the film to show how important this program is and the impact of it. 
there wasn't a dry eye in the movie theater at the oh. end when you see these these men get to do this dance with their daughters. You're just oh. in tears. And in the end, at the log line, we find out that 95% of the men who go through this program and get to dance with their kids and touch their daughters, like the, the one thing they talk about how important human touches and how these men don't get it. They're yeah. stuck in prison and they get stuck in this system where they're just pushed. And again, these are all men of color. They just get pushed into a system they cannot escape out of. So yeah. 95% of these men are, did not go back into the system after they're released when they get the opportunity. So daughters, it was purchased by Netflix. It's going to get a huge push for best documentary oh, this upcoming year. It's, it's great. It's, it's wonderful tearjerker and I highly, highly recommend it. Yeah. In my, in my legal field, I've been to many a jail and I have to tell you the, the conditions can be abhorrent. It's not the cleanliness. It's not the cleanest place to go. And you're behind barriers and people are in queues, just waiting to talk for 20 minutes to their loved one. And then they're shoved out the door. Um, the directors are Angela Patton and Natalie Ray. The logline goes, four young girls prepare for a special daddy-daughter dance with their incarcerated fathers as part of a unique fatherhood program in a Washington, D.C. jail. It sounds really strong and really promising. Awesome. And, and Angela Patton actually created the program. She's hoping to push this nationwide. She's hoping that this film will be the thing that helps create a program. So talk about how we talk about the power documentary film has to make change. This is something I hope will create a change and hope to create something outside of what is now only a part of three prisons in the DC Baltimore area will hopefully become something bigger. So look up Angela Patton and this program, wonderful things are happening and the film did get picked up by Netflix and I know it's going to get a big push for award season. Oh yeah. Um, the next film I caught was a big change. I, I caught a horror film, the, the really only traditional horror film I saw this festival, and it's called The Mugai. Well, M-U-U-G-A-I is an Australian horror film about a boogeyman that takes children. It kind of acts as an allegory to the Aboriginal stolen generation, where the white men stole Native children from their tribes and adopted them out to white folks in Australia. Mm. This, to me, is very much like Babadook light kind of really and of course babadook also played as part of the 40th anniversary year this year so this kind of felt like it was tagged on to be like hey look look what babadook brought on something really similar i enjoyed it it follows a lot of tropes some of the Mm -hmm. acting is a little wishy-washy but it's a sundance horror film i had a good time with it the moo guy is definitely something if you like horror films and you like the you like that uh, type of style go for it but I don't know. Yeah. Looks like it's directed by John Bell. Um, I'm looking at the cast list. Bella Heathcote's really the only one who uh, sort of jumps out. But yeah, sounds uh, sounds interesting. It's Catchy interesting. Title. Interesting <laughs> title. And I'm there is some really great effects at the end. The film's kind of a mess. But I'm glad it was there. And I'm glad I saw it. And I'm glad that there's actual horror back. And that it's not just allegories. In the past, yeah. the Sundance is nothing but horror allegories. So it's fun just to see something that's exciting and there is a creature with great effects so if you like creature features it's worth it but uh, it's mad <laughs> so the new guy then brought me to one of the most talked about films of the festival i uh, hit the midweek with a real pain this hmm. one is the one that everybody talked about because there is 
a star turn from um, one of the Culkin brothers in here, uh, Aaron Culkin from Secession. He is really, really, really good in this. A real pain. Uh, curiously enough, this is listed as USA and Poland. Um, I think you're going to explain a little bit of that. This is the this is the film Jesse Eisenberg has directed and written and also produced. Emma Stone is also a producer on this. You heard Kieran Culkin is in this. Jesse Eisenberg is in this as well. Will Sharp, Jennifer Grey. When was the last time we saw her? The logline is mismatched cousins Dave, David and Benji reunite for a tour through Poland to honor their beloved grandmother. The adventure takes a turn when the pair's old tensions resurface against the backdrop of their family history. Um, this is getting a lot of buzz. How was it? It's great. I really, it's much better than his last film. He did, uh, uh, Eisenberg did a film called uh, When You Finish Saving the World that was at Sundance a couple of years ago, which I thought was okay, but just didn't quite hit me. This suffers from some of the similar things. It's Sundance 101. You got mm. a lot of the same kind of dramedy tropes. We get a character study of two distinct characters between these, both played by Eisenberg and Colkin. So we see them as they go to Poland. The cool thing is, as we find out is that through the Q&A, is that Eisenberg actually went to his family home where his, fa- his great-great-grandmother was from. It became this really big emotional thing for him to wow. go to Poland. And they actually got to film this big scene in front of their family's home which was it the movie has a lot of charm it's very funny it's very sweet it does suffer from your sundance dramedy stuff but it is up there with the codas it is up there with the little miss sunshines it's warm but it's also dealing with real trauma real things and the turn from karen culkin if it doesn't get an oscar nomination is just crazy to me because he was so good in it he is on a streak i mean he is on a streak he uh, plays succession and yeah and then he plays a character who's surfing from couch to couch so he may or may not be homeless we don't quite know that he's all together whereas eisenberg is very much the straight man he's successful works at a business financial firm it looks like travels back and forth from new york city to his family lives kind of a normal life but He's really quiet. He seems awkward. He seems weird. He seems like things aren't going well. But with Kieran, we get a character who seems like everything is fine. He's the life of the party. But he might be the one in the real pain. It's a really good movie. It's one Mm. that you definitely need to watch. Jennifer Grey's turn is really fun. And I think it's one that uh, will definitely get some Oscar talk for at least screenplay and uh, Kieran Culkin. Kieran's come a long way from Igby. <laughs> Igby goes down and uh, Scott Pilgrim versus the world. I also loved him in the dangerous lives of altar boys. So yep. yeah, I, I can't, I can't wait. It is entertaining. And this brings me to my 19th film, which you can't have a Sundance without Jason Schwartzman. And this was called between the temples. Not only do you get Jason Schwartzman, but you also get Carol Kane. Yes. <laughs> oh my gosh. I loved this movie. It is not for everybody. It is again, full of really weird adult swim type Tim and Eric humor where they push things to the limit of kind of strangeness. But the film is about uh, a gentleman who uh, works, uh, he's like in the clergy uh, for a, uh, a Jewish temple. And he basically ha- 
the film follows an old teacher of his who asks him to help her get her bar mitzvah. And that's Carol okay. Kane. So it's a cute little story <laughs> where she wants to get a bar mitzvah and become Jewish and go through the whole thing. And she's, of course, older. And they had a connection uh, in school. But he's dealing with the divorce. It's Jason Schwartzman. It's Sundance. It's dramedy. But it's with a little twist of strange adult swim type humor. So okay. for me, it was a win. It's too long at an hour and 57 minutes long. But it's funny. It's weird. It's quirky. Yeah, this is from Nathan um, Silver. Uh, he is an independent filmmaker out of New York City, released eight consecutive feature films in as many years. This cast list also includes Robert Smigel, speaking of Adult Swim and, and uh, adult cartoons. Uh, yep. That sounds interesting. <laughs> he is hilarious. And the best parts are when him and Schwartzman just get to this riff. And when it's him and Schwartzman and Kane together... It's just comedy gold. I, I really just, I, I loved this movie. It was fun. It was sweet. It's not the greatest thing at the festival, but it's the kind of movie I just kind of, I'm a sucker for. A classic nice. Sundance comedy. So really, really, really good stuff. I was kind of in this part of the festival where I ended up catching some of the really good stuff. And this brings me to my favorite film of the festival, number 20. My 20th film was called Ghost Light. Ghost Light is one of the most beautiful films about the power of art to help trauma that I've ever seen. Our directors and screenwriters are uh, is Kelly O'Sullivan and Alex Thompson. Um, this says, when a construction worker unexpectedly joins a local theater's production of Romeo and Juliet, the drama on stage starts to mirror his own life. Um, cast is Keith Kupfer, Dolly De Leon, who I think was just in the movie you talked about, Catherine Mallon Kupfer. Uh, yeah, what's what what's this like? How is it? Ghost Light is wonderful. I don't know if you've seen Saint Francis. The Saint uh, filmmaking team did that a few years ago. No, I think I missed that one. It's yeah. wonderful, but this is also in the same vein. It's also very much a, a Sundance dramedy. It's about a construction worker, his wife and their daughter dealing with the effects of their son who committed suicide. Mm. And it's a really powerful, strong movie. What ends up, what they end up doing to get over it is finding a community theater and joining the cast of Romeo and Juliet. Aww. It is so, so <laughs> powerful. And I know you, I know you're going to eat this movie up just like I did. I was in tears. And this was the movie that people were getting kicked out of. It was the big hype the first weekend because literally people weren't getting into it. And nobody oh. knew anything about it. Like the log line seemed weird. It's like, okay, Romeo and Juliet. All right, whatever. But the movie has so much heart so much sweetness. The actual family is a real family. They're mm. an actual family. The husband and wife and daughter are actually them. <laughs> and they have such chemistry. Again, I, I highly recommend this movie. And it, it if it doesn't touch people the way that films like Coda and My Little Sunshine uh, have in the past Sundance, it's, you're crazy. It's so sweet. It's so wonderful. And it was picked up again. I think it was uh, picked up by Fox Searchlight, which means we're probably only getting a Hulu situation, which upsets me. Mm. Hopefully it gets enough hype that we get at least a small theatrical vibe, but it deserves to be seen in a 
big theater because it's about the power of presenting in a stage on the theater in front of people. And it needs to be seen on the, in a theater so you can all cry together. So Ghostlight, yeah. the film of Sundance, to me, if it doesn't get nominated for a bunch of stuff next year, it's a crime. So definitely look it up. You know, people think acting is just kind of like, ooh, we we're playing the characters or whatever, but it can also be transformative, right? Because you're calling on feelings that you already have. Listen to me speaking about like acting, not really an actor, but, but you know, it sounds like this is tapping into that, that performing can also help you work out your own demons and things that you've got inside you as well. Even if it's something like Romeo and Juliet, um, before we move on to your next movie, um, I just wanted to uh, backtrack. So for the Sundance awards, it looks like a real pain won the Waldo salt screenwriting award for us dramatic. You had mentioned gaucho gaucho that won the U S documentary special jury award for sound, um, which is pretty interesting. The audience award for us documentary went to daughters and the audience award for next next, I think that's kind of like future filmmakers kind of thing. Um, went to kneecap. Yep. So, kneecap. Yeah. Definitely. Those, those remain the audience awards. And kneecap is definitely an audience award winner. Um, the next film I saw was probably the most like commercial. In fact, theaters are already out. Uh, I saw the American Society of American Negroes. Again, yes. Justice Smith just showing his chops he really is becoming a really good actor the kid yeah. just really is becoming his own beyond the pokemon kid and all the other stuff he's done in the past um it's it's a really funny satire that kind of twists the um harry potter vibe with uh the satire satiric vibe that black people are only here to keep white people from doing awful things <laughs> it's funny it's it's really enjoyable it's the whole time i'm thinking this isn't sundance but it definitely goes to show that we're in a time when independent film needs to be seen in a big theater. And I hope that people do see this. It didn't work hundred percent for me, but it is funny. It is well-written and there's an audience that's going to eat it up. There was a whole row of uh, people from California and two of them, uh, a black couple, they were laughing the entire time. The dude behind me in tears laughing. It was so funny. We all just had a blast, but it, it, it doesn't, it, it hits too many tropes. And yeah, if I was giving a full review, I'd give it a skip. But oh, okay, okay. It's a little bit too cutesy and it didn't feel like it belonged at the festival for me. So for me, that was probably the thing I would have not have seen at the festival. But I think it has an audience that are going to see it when it comes out. So interestingly enough, I had raved about American fiction and how it used sort of a comedic approach to address issues of racism and discrimination. And lo and behold, the trailer for American Society of Magical Negroes played before it. Um, this is from Kobe Libby. Uh, you said Justice Smith, David Allen Greer is in it, mm -hmm. like in living color, David Allen Greer. I was like, yes, right? Rupert Friend, Nicole Byer, and the logline goes, a young man, Aaron, is recruited into a secret society of magical Black people who dedicate their lives to a cause of utmost importance, making white people's lives easier. Um, it also looks like there's a little bit of romance in there as well. Um, yeah, that's the issue. The rom-com parts did not work at all. I like the uh, satire, but the rom the romance parts didn't work. It's 
it was okay. I don't like talking bad on Sundance movies, but it it wasn't great. <laughs> not not entirely successful. <laughs> not entirely successful. I understand why it's at the festival to get some push for it and hopefully they get some butts in the seat. But uh, the next thing I saw was a really experimental, uh, to me, kind of experimental in nature horror film called In a Violent Nature. So I was getting, a, I was hearing a lot about In a Violent Nature uh, being gory. This is the movie. Oh my gosh. And of course, I didn't get to it till the end of the festival. So I was all super anticipating what might be the biggest, goriest horror movie since Saw at the festival. So I'm super anticipating something. Well, what we end up getting is a film that follows the killer. Think of the Friday the 13th, the video game where you get to play Jason. Think oh, of yeah. it like that. But it's the indie movie version of that. So you're basically oh. following the zombie killer as he walks around and kills people. There's part of this, the kills are really cool. There's parts of this that has a vibe that you really get into. But you can only watch so much of the same guy crunching around the woods for an hour and 25 minutes. Got as it. he gets four kills in an hour and 25 minutes. The kills are great. And they're awesome. But it's slow as hell. It's pandering. It when it's gory, it's gory. And it's some of those kills had some of the people in the theater like twisted, turned upside down because they're insane kills. But yeah. what you have to get to to get there is like, uh again, it's the terrifier thing of that's torturing horror movies right now. They have to push the utmost boredom to get to the utmost gore. I don't understand why we're in this place where we have slow, slow, slow gore, slow, slow, slow gore. But that seems to be what this film was going for, which is how I feel about the terrifier film franchise. And then it is going to have people who love it. I was disappointed, but it was nice to, again, see a horror movie, a true horror movie that didn't have anything to say besides watch some cool kills. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this is from Canada. Our director screenwriter is one Chris Nash. It appears he has a special effects background, having worked on psycho Gorman. Um, mm -hmm. but he has also written and directed, uh, the Z is for zygote segment of the ABCs of death Two. but he's mainly just done a lot of shorts. Uh, this might be a curious watch. I would say if you're, it's a curious watch. I mean, it's going to be picked up by Shutter. Uh, they picked it up. It's going to air sometime. And it's going to get a small theatrical run and then probably hit Shutter before Halloween. It's great to watch at Halloween. I think it'll have its fan base. But for me, I thought it was too pandering, too slow. But I, I, there were a lot of people who were loving it. Then this brings me to the crowd pleaser next to kneecap. This is the most crowd pleasing film that I saw. Unfortunately, this is one that I ended up seeing at home. I wish I would have saw this with the crowd. I ended up seeing it with my family. I saw the film Didi. Uh, mm. Didi ended up winning the uh, awards for the uh, audience award for best dramatic. And it is a really awesome and fun coming of age film set in the Bay Area again set circa 2008 I love that we're in a time and age where we're getting these films that are period pieces from 2008 I know <laughs> but I it's know. a period piece from 2008 <laughs> where you're watching laughing watching him play with his MySpace and add his songs and his background and Aww. part of you you're just like thump thump 
thump, thump. Oh my gosh. What's simpler sweet times. And the movie yeah. is sweet. It's tender. It's a classic coming of age Sundance movie, like, like uh, eighth grade. And there've been so many before it. It's wonderful. It's sweet. It's, it's all about skateboarding. It's all about finding yourself. It's done by someone who I, I believe the director did some uh, uh, music videos. It's got a really fun, fast-paced, punchy vibe to it. I, it's definitely a Sundance winner. You could tell it's, it's that type of movie that's a crowd pleaser. And I think that it will find its audience of 18 to 30-year-olds who will just eat this stuff up. So this one, uh, Sean Wang is the director, screenwriter, and producer. The logline goes, in 2008, during the last month of summer before high school begins, an impressionable 13-year-old Taiwanese-American boy learns what his family can't teach him. How to skate, how to flirt, and how to love your mom. Um, I I take it these are a lot of newcomers, but there is a name that I saw here that I'm excited to see back on the screen, Joan Chen. Um. And uh, all I can think of is that that scene in in Twin Peaks where she's like, Harry, push the plug instead of pull the plug, right? Um, I love Joan Chen. This, this, I mean, it, you're right. It, it looks like it's got like heartwarming everything all over it. I can't it wait is. to see it. It's yeah. a sweet, it's a sweet film. And it's definitely one. And it's one that you can watch with your 12 and 13 year olds and they can enjoy. So it's, it's, it's definitely one I hope people get their eyes on and I hope it becomes a hit. So this brings us to where we're now at my last day, the very last Sunday. Instead of seeing the award, the rest of the award winners, I wanted to catch Didi, so I caught that. I the rest of everything I caught were films that I was really kind of excited for, uh, and then one that I was kind of thrown to the loop for, which ended up blowing me away. The next one is uh, directed by Richard Linklater, a Sundance perennial. Man, uh, starring Glenn Powell. Uh, it's already played Sundance or other film festivals. It's part of the spotlight, which the spotlight section of Sundance is usually films that have played other festivals mm. and have gotten hype. And this was just a kind of, this was because of the 40th year anniversary and Linklater is as Sundance as Soderbergh, who also was there this year. Um, I unfortunately had to miss. I made a, we, they made us make a choice between, I had to choose between uh, a basketball game or seeing with my kids <laughs> oh, <laughs> or yeah, seeing yeah. the Soderbergh movie. So I really wanted to see the Soderbergh movie, which I missed. I ended up getting DD at home instead. So uh, Hitman. Oh, that's a shame. Cause I, oh, I love me some Steven Soderbergh. So <laughs> I wanted to see it. Now I've heard mixed things. Brian, he liked it, but my friend yeah. Pat, who also is in the GGTMC world, he did not like it as much. So it's gotten mixed vibes. I still really want to see it, but probably my hear, favorite awesome. indie filmmaker. I know, right? Isn't it I crazy that he's doing he that he could just do this weird stuff? But anyway, yes. back to another great little indie Hitman. filmmaker, Richard Linklater's Hitman. Hitman is based off of a true story. This is uh, director, screenwriter, producer Richard Linklater. Uh, our cast is Glenn Powell, who has a lot of buzz behind this performance. Um, you'll know him from Maverick or television shows like Scream Queens. Adria Arjona, who I always conflate her with another lady, Isa Gonzalez, because they kind of look similar. Because they're but both I be- gorgeous. <laughs> yes, absolutely. They're both beautiful. Adria Arjona, I believe, was in Morbius, which I uh-huh. loved. <laughs> um, and then um, Austin Amelio, who I adore. He's from The Walking Dead. The logline goes, a straight-laced professor discovers his hidden talent 
as a fake hitman. He meets his match in a client who steals his heart and ignites a powder keg of deception, delight, and mixed up identities. Yeah, a lot of buzz going into this. They think Glenn Powell's going to be the next big thing, although he's been acting forever. forever. Uh, what was Hitman like? Hitman is a lot of fun. It it doesn't feel like a Linklater film. He does show up in it. He plays a little role, a little cameo oh. role, like a Hitchcock. <laughs> but it is fun. It's got so, like, the best part is Glenn Powell. Like, you just get a lot of scenes of him playing different hitmen for different people. Lots, wow. and, and he, as, as he goes along, he starts to realize he's really good at it. He starts to, like, create characters that he can use. <laughs> so he creates hitmen characters, and you're seeing him literally go to these bad guys with the FBI and create these characters. And the more and more he gets into it, the more he gets kind of tied into it, and he ends up falling in love with one of the girls that he has to uh yeah so anyways without giving any spoilers away it's really fun it's it's classic type of film there's nothing it's it's home definitely is netflix i don't think it needs to be seen on the big screen but it Mm. is a lot of fun and i think glenn powell is great if you like true stories about weird people and weird stuff this is definitely one of those and there's a scene that creates tension with a whole debit card or this credit card that I just can't, it, the way they create tension that Linklater did with this is insane. And everybody after the film was like, oh, and you could like feel everyone like oh, in the theater oh. during that scene, which is the yes. one scene where I was like, Oh my gosh, this is why I'm here. But overall, <laughs> I wish, I wish it was a little bit more, but I think it's going to be fine on Netflix. I think it's fun. And yeah, I think it's entertaining, but I, I wasn't as wowed by the film itself as I was by Powell, who just okay is great. The film is a so little worth too the hype. long. It's he's worth the hype. Yeah. The film's too long. It's a little bit messy on what it's trying to say and do. It's cute. It's fun. It's link later. See it when it's on Netflix. Hmm, a link later film that's long. Hmm. hmm. Question mark. Too long. Um, Don't know how to use an editor. By the way, when I was reading this log line, all I could think of was bill paxton's character in true lies <laughs> oh my gosh i didn't even think about that it's kind of no. true yeah <laughs> the next film i saw is one that has played other film festivals and was also during the spotlight section and just kind of fit for time then brian's like i've heard good things and it wowed me and it's called the mother of all lies mm, okay so the mother of all lies is this beautiful, cathartic, experimental documentary. It's like at once like artistic miniature recreations of this mass murder of like 600 protesters wow. in Casablanca in 81, something I knew wow. nothing about. But the way that it's retold is this artist brings her family into a studio, basically makes them rehash all the shit they don't want to rehash while her and her father recreated the town with little artistic, you know, uh, figurines. Yeah. Kind of. Did oh. you see the documentary or the movie about? Uh, was it called Marwan? About the guy who was an ex yes. who created yeah, these yeah. little. Really similar, but she did oh. this to kind of spark the memories to bring out the trauma, and to kind of find out exactly what happened. You come to find out she had an aunt who was killed during those. And they each, mm. each family member dealing with it in this traumatic way of doing this reenactment. They all kind of knew they were there to be a part of this documentary film. She was making the short film, but she kind of brings them in and forces them through this film based like uh, therapy session. 
Wow. That is intense. That is heart-wrenching, unlike anything I've ever seen. Really interesting movie about what trauma does throughout generations and how different people's memories of uh, of something that happened many years ago can be different, you know. Yeah. So really, really interesting film, unlike anything I'd ever seen. It did get nominated, I think, for some things from the Spirit Awards, and uh, it's going to get released through Sony Picture Classics. Definitely worth mm. a look. Um, the yeah. documentaries I saw this year, that was the last documentary I saw. The documentaries were just uh, chef's kiss, just all wonderful, beautiful. And Sundance really is. People think it's the place for dramedies. It is the place for documentaries. Yeah. The best documentaries in so many years after year after year, the, the nominations are all Sundance films. So I, I just can't say enough about the Sundance documentaries. But I finished my festival. With the last film, it was a fun little midnight movie called It's What's Inside. It's oh, What's boy. Inside <laughs> was the big, big uh, purchase of the festival. I think Netflix bought it for $17 million. Um, I didn't see it till the last day, but it was from the beginning. The hype was just insane. And everyone said, Wilden, this is a Wilden movie. This is a Wilden movie. <laughs> You're going to love it. It's twisty. It's funny. It's dark. It's kind of a horror movie, but it's kind of not. And it's all of those things. But it's it's a kind of movie you don't want to say too much about plot-wise. But basically, okay. the plot line goes, um, people show up at a, fam- at a party. Somebody isn't really supposed to be there. And things happen. <laughs> okay. You really don't want to get too much into it. But the film is a lot of fun. It's... Um, Gosh, it's one of those that I, if we had a spoiler section, we could really go on out. But it's funny. It's fast paced. It again brought me back to that world where I was at Sundance seeing um, these great comedy horror films of the past. And it was being part of an audience that was laughing, having fun. It's something that's unfortunately going to be stuck on Netflix. But it's a funny little movie about body swapping that you just, that's, that's all you need to know. But it's what's yeah. inside. To me, it's the fair play. It's the one that got a lot of hype, mm. got bought on Netflix. Whether you liked it or not, who knows, because no one ever talks about it. But I hope that more people watch it because it's a lot of fun. And it really was the five films I saw in the midnight section were fun. It wasn't just yeah. these depressing films like The Nanny and The Master that are great horror movies about real life stuff that was so depressing and they were good movies, but this year was a lot of fun. And that was my Sundance film festival. I got the chance to see 26 films from all over the, you know, the world with one of my best buddies from Northern Ireland who introduced me to you and the gentleman's guide and my friend, Sean and all these wonderful movie people that I just wouldn't be where I am without all of you. And that is Amazing. I, I'm so excited from some of these titles. And also, I'm just I'm just going to backtrack just a little bit. The Mother of All Lies. This is by director Esme Al-Mudir. Uh, she's a young Moroccan filmmaker. Uh, as you said, it was based around a sort of like a mass murder incident and her connection to this. It's What's Inside is the director and screenwriter is Greg Hardeen. Uh, the logline goes... A pre-wedding party descends into an existential nightmare when an estranged friend shows up with a mysterious suitcase. Now that 
Sounds enticing. Um, our cast includes Alicia Debney Carey, who I'm a huge fan of. She was on The 100, uh, the CW show, as well as Fear the Walking Dead. Very strong actress. Gavin Leatherwood is in this good looking guy. He was in Sabrina, I yep. think, Sabrina the Teenage, Teenage Witch. Witch. Yep. Yeah. Um, I'm I'm a little I'm a little sad you didn't get to catch. Um, there was an AI documentary that apparently was about. Trying to tra- it sounded like that Johnny Depp transcendence movie. Trying to transfer um, somebody's human mind into into the body of like a, a robot or something. Um, it's called oh here it is Love Machina. Yeah, uh, love is- uh, yeah love love Machina. Yes, and, uh, Brian went and saw it. And okay, uh, basically from what I gather and and a couple other people I I trust saw it. Um, Brian didn't like it. The rest of my friends did like it. But again, this man built this bus to look like his wife and basically tried to recreate her. Mm. So using AI has created a, it's basically a bus that's a weird, creepy, like mannequin that talks like Yikes. her and looks Yikes. like her. <laughs> Yeah, apparently it's called Bina 48. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's like the 48th version. He's tried 48 times to recreate his dead wife. So it's that's what it's about. I hear it's great, and it did get wow. picked up. Frankenstein. Um, yeah, yeah, there's that. <laughs> the ones I, other ones I wish I would have caught, Iberlin, which also won uh, a bunch of awards. It's a documentary about a young man who uh, had a degenerative disease and died at 25. Mm. And when his parents you know, were going through his computer, they thought he lived a sad life. They found out he kind of was a celebrity in an online world of World of Warcraft. And so the oh, film, wow. the documentary recreates his life and online but through the images of world of warcraft and the different avatars that he had so that got picked up by netflix i heard that's just a tissue crier just weepy weepy and everyone loved it so that one also i'm sure will be on the the list for uh oscars for best documentary like all these are so and speaking of documentary i'm hearing amazing things about super slash man the christopher reeve story yeah um and then uh Devo apparently performed and they've got a, a, a retrospective documentary a la the Sparks. Yeah. 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 The Sparks. Yeah. yeah. It's similar to um, that from what I heard. I heard it's your standard, you know, talking head, celebrate the band. I heard it was pretty good, but it's nothing, nothing shocking. It probably could be on VH1 is what I heard, but it's good from what yeah. I've heard. Um, but really, I think it was a really exciting, fun festival. I feel like I saw the stuff I wanted to see. I don't know if we're necessarily going to see anything like past lives from last year that's going to get Oscar noms. Mm. Maybe, like I said, Kieran Culkin, I think a screenplay nomination for Real Pain. But otherwise, I I, I don't know if I see much more Oscar-wise this year. Yeah. We'll see. Anything else you want to add about your Sundance experience this year? It was just, it was a great time with great friends. One of these days, I hope that you could come out and join me. It's it's so much fun to just focus on film for those days. I'm thankful to my wife and the kids for allowing me that chance to do it for 10 days. I'm gone, but it's it's so much fun. And it's part of who I am now. I mean, now that I've done it for so many years, half, half my life, I just, I don't know what I would be without Sundance and the films that I've seen and the memories and Again, like you say at the end of every episode, how important it is to go to the theater, 
to yeah. go to live exhibition and to be a part of that and to go to a film festival is unlike anything else. And Sundance is one of those experiences that I'm lucky I have in my backyard and I get to do every year. So thanks for having me on here and thanks for sharing your love for film every week. And I love your podcast and I love to oh, be you. on here. So appreciate you. Yes. And we'll have to get you on as a guest. Thank you so much. This is, I love it. It's our second second annual Sundance episode. It can't be done without you. Thank you so much for, for being on, Mike. Thank Appreciate you for your time. Appreciate you, Jose Cupcake. Talk to you later. Yep. All right. Hey, you want to watch some TV or something? Skip it. Well, I'm getting ready to watch a video. Really? What? Nothing but foul language and toilet humor. I'm disgusted and repulsed and... And I can't look away. I need these things! I need these things! Tell me, do you wanna go? Oh, no way. No way, Jose. <laughs> this just in. Go to hell! This conversation can serve no purpose anymore. Stop it! 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 Stop it!